Recovery Elevator, episode 50. Look, I am doing exactly kind of what they have done. Although I'm a high-level functioning person, this, this has just got to stop. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for one year, four months, and three weeks. On today's podcast, I've got Cameron. He's been sober for almost six months, and he is a university professor with a PhD. So maybe I should be saying on today's podcast, I have Dr. Cameron. Nearly two weeks ago, I saw a movie called The Big Short. It's got Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Brad Pitt, and it's all about the stock market housing bubble mortgage crash crisis uh, that led us into the Great Recession in 2008. In the movie, Christian Bale plays this awkward character where you can tell that socially he doesn't quite get it, but upstairs in the dome, he's a genius. And somewhere in the beginning of the movie, Christian Bale mentions how he met his wife on Match.com. In his profile, he said, socially awkward guy with a glass eye. Right when I heard that, I knew I had a challenge in front of me. I'm at the time of my life, and I'm serious when I say that, I'm at the time of my life right now where I can be emotionally present in a relationship. I've only been at this stage for about six months. I was a normal drinker in high school and early college, so I think at those times I was better capable of being in a relationship than my entire 20s. So only recently have I been open to the idea of dating. Before I go any further with this podcast, let me make it clear right now. I don't understand dating at all. In fact, I'll put dating, relationships, the whole girls thing, on the same playing field of confusion as alcoholism and addiction. They're both freaking confusing. So after leaving the movie theater, I decided to give that strategy a try. Now, this is not my first rodeo with Match.com. I did it once, I believe, in 2008 and again in 2010, both times with a whole lot of me typing and sending messages and no activity. I'd say to myself, you know what? I don't think I hit send on that message. And go to my computer, and not only did I hit send, Bumblebee7 had also read the message. And then I was like, you know what? I think it's my profile picture. So no joke, I borrowed a dog and voila, new profile photo with me and a beautiful dog in the background. And then what followed was crickets, more crickets, just chirps. Actually, nothing followed. Actually, crickets would have been more activity than I saw on Match.com those previous two occasions. And you might be wondering, why didn't I try the honest strategy previously in the other two attempts? Well, knowing now, I had a huge irrational fear of coming out of the closet, per se, about my alcoholism, about being an alcoholic, about my drinking problem. And my profile looked like every other dude on Match.com. I think. I wasn't looking at other guys' profiles, but you get the point. I was always terrified of what a girl would say when she found out why I really didn't drink. For example, when I was sober for two and a half years, I kind of left it as like this mysterious thing because I heard somewhere that girls like mysterious guys. But being vague about why you don't drink isn't mysterious. It lets a girl's imagination run wild. And that isn't always a good thing. We've all heard the descriptions of what a woman is looking for in a man. We've never heard anything like this. Hey, Cindy, what do you look for in a guy? Well, I look for a guy who's tall, handsome, motivated, alcoholic, funny, hardworking. Oh, and he's got to have a good relationship with his mom. You just don't hear the alcoholic part in there ever. So I always left it out. But Match.com 3.0, here's my profile description verbatim. Hello, my name is Paul. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm extremely allergic to horses. At times, I struggle with anxiety, and I have been diagnosed ADHD four different times by medical professionals. New paragraph. 
you're probably wondering why I would lead off with this enticing intro, but after reading a couple profiles, I couldn't get a real idea of who the gals really were on this site. So by being upfront, honest, and transparent, I am saving both of us time. None of these things truly define me, but this is an honest description of who I am. When I first started writing my profile, it contained words like funny, outgoing, motivated, happy, good relationship with my mom, and all the other generic descriptors, which do describe me, but I thought I would just tell it to you straight. And I kid you not, Recovery Elevator. Within two hours after my profile was approved by the Match.com authorities, I started getting winks. Girls were putting me in their categories as favorites. In fact, I turned the notifications off on my iPhone. And I'm not putting myself in Russell Brand status here, but I felt hot. I felt sexy, Recovery Elevator. It felt good. Best of all, it felt good because they were liking and winking and being interested to a guy who I really was. Oh yeah, I actually have got four messages. Four messages. In the previous Match.com attempts, I think I sent out nearly 400 messages and got back, let me think, one, two, three, actually zero. I got back zero responses. I'm kidding. I did get back one or two. In fact, I even went on one date with a lovely lady in Seattle. But she had no clue who I was. And guess what? There was not a second date. And that was her call. Now, I do know it's not the alcoholic thing in my profile that spiked their interest. I'm not going to go tell my friends who are normal drinkers to go become an alcoholic as quickly as possible to better enhance their chances with females. I'm not going to say that. Because I know that's not what piques the girl's interests. What it is, I believe, again, it's so confusing, but I'm pretty sure it's honesty. And this doesn't apply to just girls in the dating world. But in this factor, it is honesty that the girls appreciate. I've said this on previous podcast episodes. Right now, being an alcoholic is a blessing. What I mean by that is it is the best filter I could have ever asked for. It filters out all the fake people, your fake friends, and especially girls who are looking at my profile. The ones who have messaged me know exactly who I am. And our conversations don't start with a normal BS like all the other conversations do. What I mean is we pick up like at date 15. We don't have two weeks of chatter. That really just means nothing. We just get right to the meat of it and start having real conversations. In the past decade, when I was hanging out with a girl, I was always terrified when that moment would come up where she would say, why don't you drink? Or I'd find a strategic way, be like, okay, this is the time. We've gone on 10 dates, think she likes me. This, I'm, I'm going to tell her about Spain and, and, and why I don't drink. But you know, I'm not an alcoholic, of course not. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to be more honest about it. No, I'm upfront from the start. And there's a lot of other takeaways from this podcast that apply to other avenues besides dating. Being honest and upfront and transparent about who I am has propelled me forward in all of my relationships, in my business relationships, everything. So I highly encourage you give it a try. It's this irrational fear and I'm guilty as charged. I was terrified for so long. I was terrified before I did this podcast to announce that I was an alcoholic. But boy, was I wrong. One of the girls who messaged me was Sunset1986. That's not her exact profile name for privacy purposes. But her first message was ADHD? Question mark. I'm ADD. Now think about that for just a sec. That's the first dialogue we have ever had. Normally, when you get to know someone well enough where they expose that information to you, that sensitive information, that's at least date 48, again, who knows, or at least a year of knowing somebody, and here we are. 
the beginning phases of our conversation and we're jumping right into it like we've known each other for a long time. And if you're wondering, Sunset 1986 and I, we've been chatting back and forth. I really don't plan to mix my dating life with this podcast, but this is an interesting experiment that I got to keep you in the loop with. And you never know, Sunset 1986, you might just be the wind beneath my wings. I should make that into a song. So at this time, now let's hear from our interviewee, Cameron. Cameron, how are you? Uh, doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Recovery Elevator, if the audio sounds a little different, it's because Cameron and I, we're in the same room. So usually I use this technology thing. We use Skype, we use cell phones, internet connection, but Cameron and I, we're doing the old-fashioned interview. We're in the same room, so I'm excited to see you know what direction the interview takes with that difference. So Cameron, I'm going to get right into it. How long have you been sober? Well, according to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker, I've been sober five months and four days. Nice. Congratulations, Cameron. And before we get into this interview, I want to get to know more about yourself. If you could give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, do you have, do you have two dachshunds maybe, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, I uh, live in Missoula, Montana. I'm a, a tenured full professor and an entrepreneur. My wife and I own 335 uh, self-storage units in Missoula. So in addition to my academic career, I've got a couple of things going on. My wife and I, we don't have any kids. Uh, we thought that would be too big of a hit on the gene pool, so we opted out of the whole kid thing. But we have two little dachshunds that run the show, and they're a wonderful part of our life. When I'm not doing my uh, academic thing or my entrepreneur thing, I am skiing, reading books, uh, hiking, pretty, pretty active with the sort of things that we do in Montana. Now, when you say doing my academic thing, are you like a TA over there at University of Missoula or what, what do you do over there? No, I'm, I'm a tenured full professor. Uh, my PhD is in management information systems. So I teach graduate and undergraduate classes, kind of technology and strategy, those sorts of things. Cameron, let's jump right into the podcast title, referencing Recovery Elevator. Talk to me about your elevator. When did it get to the bottom and when did you decide to quit drinking? Well, uh, this past summer, actually, in, in August, you know, that's when it really uh, hit me. And I, uh, some, some things had gone down. My brother, my younger brother, passed away the previous May. And uh, he was an alcoholic. My m wife and I had helped him with rehab. He completed rehab last spring. He actually worked for us uh, in Missoula. He ran our self-storage business and uh, was involved in some other things uh, business-wise that we are connected with. And uh, essentially, a month after returning from rehab, he passed away. And uh, while he was sober at the time, he uh, basically had, had a heart attack. And just the, the ravage, uh, you know, his, his body had been ravaged by alcohol and smoking. And really, kind of this summer was a point of, you know, just a lot of reflection. And so mid-August, uh, my wife and I were in Big Sky. And there were three big nights, basically. They were kind of social in nature. Um, but for those three nights, each night I was drunk. I mean, I was drunk, you know, my typical thing, I would drink until, you know, two in the morning, you know, I'm a periodic, you know, my, my pattern of drinking was very periodic, essentially more of a binge type. So go, go a couple of weeks without drinking. And then, you know, big nights, big social nights, uh, typically that led into lots of drinking. And so I had three of those in a row and I just felt terrible and just reflecting, and thinking about my brother's loss and, and his passing. And then, you know, the history of alcoholism in my family. Both of my parents have been through rehab. Very serious issue with alcohol in my family. And I just, I just was really low. It's like, my God, you know, I look what I'm doing. 
you know, this is my brother was killed by this stuff. Both of my parents paid a terrible price. And, um, you know, I just, I, and it was just so down, so sad thinking, look, I am doing exactly kind of what they have done. Although I'm a high level functioning person, this, this has just got to stop. Cameron, a couple episodes ago, I talk about when I went back into the funeral for my grandpa's death. I looked at a photograph of him. He was standing, I think, on a tank or in front of a tank in World War II. And it was one of those moments where I got honest with myself. The clarity was there for just a split second. And I realized, man, I've got to make some changes in my life. I'm an alcoholic. This man is my hero, my grandpa. And that was a moment where I got real with myself. Tell me more about that moment after the three days of binge drinking was it a specific moment or was it just like a culmination of like, man, I, I got to make some changes. I would say more the culmination. I just, I, this is something I thought about for a while, like a lot of folks. And, and it just was like, this is it. And I remember, you know, at two in the morning or whatever it was thinking, this has got to stop. This is, this is no good. So I, I really view it as a, a, you know, it was a culmination of a lot of things that just kind of came down at that time. And that following day, August 17th, just down, thought about it, you know, just feeling like crap, of course. And I just made a decision. Hey, I think, I think I'm done with this. And I talked with my wife. I immediately started reading a great book, uh, Drinking Life by Pete Hamill. I got that and just devoured it. And I'd read it before, actually. You know, so it was just at that point. And so on my brother's birthday, who had passed away the previous spring, that's my sobriety date. So I decided on his birthday, it's a, this is it. Um, I'm done. Cameron, I want to get to that moment moving forward in just a little bit, but let's back it up before that moment. You said you were the binge drinking, the periodic type. Mm -hmm. Tell listeners maybe, and I'm interested as well, like what, what did that look like for you? When you started drinking, could you shut it down after two or? No, no, I look, I, two, two, two beers to me is always kind of a silly proposition, you know, and what's interesting and what I've learned really to look for the similarities, but my pattern, if I was ever down or upset about something, I would never drink. That was not my thing. It was more of a celebratory, a big week, working hard, a lot of success. It was those sort of things that would lead to, hey, it's a party, let's go. So it was typically when things were very positive. And so it just wasn't, hey, a couple of glasses of wine or whatever. It was full on, hey, this is going to be a party. And it's really always been that way for me. Did you ever try to put systems into place when you were binge drinking or did you ever realize you're like, okay, I'm, I'm struggling with the alcohol. I'm going to think of a rule. Like I'm not going to drink during weekdays or I'm not going to drink if I've got something to do early in the morning tomorrow, only beer before this time, anything like that. Oh yeah. I mean, I never, and, and again, my pattern was never during the week. It was always a you know, typically a Friday. Hey, it's been a great successful week. Uh, things are going well. So it was never during the week that I ever had an issue, but certainly put rules into place. Oh, I'm just going to go have a couple of beers. I know that's the social thing to do. I'll have a few glasses of wine. But truly, I, for whatever reason, how I'm wired, I just saw that as complete foolishness. Why even have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine? Completely idiotic. So for whatever reason, my uh, pattern very early on going back to high school has been, hey, it's a full-on party. And I'm 50 years old, and uh, it's time for the party to stop. Cameron, I could relate to you right there. And that's a word you said to me when we first met in person two, three months ago is, is we could relate with each other, right? And to me, it was a full-on party every time. Having just two beers, two glasses of wine, it was asinine. It didn't make any sense to me. For one, 
I never tried it, but there were a couple times where I had to try it. Like we had to go home and it was so hard to shut it down. Did you also experience that it was hard to shut it down after a couple drinks? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, this is, this is, this is the fun is ahead of us. We have to keep going. And so that was it. I mean, I concluded, you know, through this process, I'm not a two beer kind of guy. I come from a family with a tremendous genetic disposition toward alcoholism. It's a progressive disease. I've never had a DUI. I'm not, I never get in fights or anything like that. But what scares me and what startled me is the realization that who knows where this thing is going. Again, the progressive nature of this disease and, you know, putting my future in jeopardy, uh, I was that, you know, that also was a motivation for me to, to address this issue. Now talk to me about the genetic predisposition. You said both your parents are alcoholics and they both had experienced rehab. Am I correct on that? Correct. Now, what did their journey take place? How long have they been sober? My dad has been sober probably 30 years at least. Let me think about that. Yeah. Yeah. At least 30, at least 30 years. My mom, this is something, uh, she's doing well, but this is something until fairly recently she has struggled with and, uh, she, she is, she is doing well and I'm, I'm proud of her. Now, right around August 18th, after you got sober, you mentioned that it hasn't been that hard. You, you read a book. Um, do you go to AA meetings? I mean, no, what I else don't. do you do to stay sober? How did you do it? I'm curious. Uh, I've never been to an AA meeting, not to say that I won't, but I've done a tremendous amount of reading, uh, you know, around this and just understanding it. But I think for me, really following my brother's passing in May, one of the things that I did was I really kind of reconciled the relationship that I've had with my parents. Um, again, both alcoholics and their alcoholism was the root of a lot of instability in our lives. And people respond to dysfunction and, and instability in different ways, you know, particularly when they're growing up. I responded to it kind of with the success narrative that I will succeed. I will go forward. I will accomplish things. I call it putting the shit on the wall. So you go accomplish a lot of great things and you're able to put all of these accolades, awards, wealth, whatever. Um, hey, look at, you know, you can point to them as, as achievements that, that are on your office wall. And that's a way of hiding in many ways. Um, but that's essentially what I did is I, I set out to accomplish things, not to be like them. My drinking patterns were never similar to my parents, for example, or my brother. They, they were more along the lines of the typical or what you would think of as the typical alcoholic. I love how you're saying just things on the wall. I've got a couple expensive piece of paper on not this wall in this room, but other walls in this house. And I know what you mean. I would say I can't be an alcoholic because, look, I got this certification, this title, this degree. I'm moving forward in life. I'm successful in life. There's no way. I can be an alcoholic. And when did you realize, Cameron, that maybe the driving factor behind that was to hide, was hiding something? I really think that's a realization that's come about in the last year or two for me, maybe. And through this process, it's really become obvious. And I think a lot of high achieving people, most people that achieve fairly substantial things in my judgment, they're, you know, we're driven by insecurities and it's like, I'm going to go out and prove and do things. And that's, and that turns out to be a good thing. You end up accomplishing some substantial things, but we can also use those achievements to mask other issues. Um, and that could inhibit our growth, you know, our, our, our you know, advancement as, as, as human beings or self-improvement basically, because we point to the, to the shit on the wall. Hey, look, I'm, I'm a good guy. I've got all my, I've got my act together and we can avoid those other issues. 
And Cameron, last time we met, you also told me something about your recovery portfolio, how you stay sober. It's like flashcards or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I kind of came up with this. You know, I've kind of come up with with some things I think that might be useful to uh, to your listeners. You know, my family has been a big influence for my motivation to quit uh, to quit drinking. And so I came up, um, I have on my laptop, a simple program that is uh, essentially flashcards. And so I have pictures of, um, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, uh, and some other uh, family members. And I, and I created just a simple slide deck. And I'm able to basically just move through it very quickly. And then interspersed in there are, are you know, just reminders of the cost that alcohol has, uh, you know, my family is... Uh, paid the you know pretty steep price because of alcohol so that's interjected in there so I'm able to go through it very quickly just as a visual reminder of you know my motivations for this and what the real cost of uh, this addiction is you said the visual reminder and that also reminds me what's so important in recovery is the affirmations and before we did this interview we talked downstairs and you said you said you heard another interview and somebody said your addiction is lying to you in your own voice because eventually your addiction will keep talking to you, but without these daily affirmations, you'll start listening to your addiction and not be able to decipher which one is which. Tell me more about that. How, how Have you been able to decipher when it's your addiction talking? Yeah, and that's that was a very powerful thing. Again, uh, the Recovery Elevator podcast has been a huge part of what I've done. When I stumbled on this, and uh, sometime I think late August, I just devoured the um, you know your podcast, basically. And... There was, uh, I believe it was a woman who's an attorney and, you know, asked, you know, you asked her what, what, what piece of advice or what's the best thing someone ever offered you about this? I think it was Lisa in the twenties, episode twenties. Yeah, could, could be. And what she said was essentially that this, you know, this disease lies to you with your own voice. And I just found that so powerful. It just stopped me. It's like, wow. I mean, those are some of the most powerful words I've ever heard. So I, I thought about that and just thought, okay, wow, I kind of see how that works. And just in, in just my own life saying, oh, no, you've got your act together. Don't, you don't have a problem. And I, I, I kind of recognize that. And then so I kind of made the extension. So, well, if that's the case, can't I also remind myself of my own voice of, of what my higher aims are, my higher ideals are? And so what I have done um, I've created a simple little audio recording. It's just a couple of minutes. I have one that's about 15 minutes and one that's a little over two minutes. And it's just, you know, it's just these affirmations of humility of in each moment there is, you know, right action, that sort of thing. And so the first thing I do is um, I listen to that uh, right off the bat. So just in my own voice, I am hearing the, the more positive elements. I'm hearing who I really aspire to be. So if I get this correctly, this is in your own voice and you hear this first thing in the morning, you press play and does it say something like, Cameron, today we're going to do big things. Cameron, today we're going to stay sober. What does it sound like? You know, it's, it's more simple than that. I really kind of tried to simplify this. Um, the first one is humility. And then the next one is sobriety is your keystone habit. You know, again, other, other ones would be, you know, in each moment there is right action. You know, so it's just very simple declarative um, things. And it's more just basic values that I want to live my life by not great achievement, but just, you know, again, the more simple, basic, um, elements of the well-lived life. Absolutely. And, and Cameron, how has life been since August? It's five months over. Have you kept, you said you have not been to an AA meeting. 
Have you told anybody that you're not drinking? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, for those closest to me, um, my best friend, um, whom I ski with a lot, who's been a big party buddy of mine through the years. Uh, I've talked to him, uh, and, and some other folks that are close to me. I've shared with them kind of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And of course my wife, uh, who's hundred percent supportive and, uh, and connected, but most definitely I've, um, slowly, and it was initially, it was difficult to, to do that. But something else I learned from your podcast and, and I'm in my own experience, it's true. Once you open up to people, Hey, this is kind of something I've chosen to do. And here's why they in turn open back to you sometimes about their own issue or family members or that sort of thing. And that's completely, completely true. That is something that I didn't even think about. You're right. Because it was, I can tell somebody, look, I'm an alcoholic and they're not, they're a normal drinker. However, this happened to me about 10 months ago. And the person's like, you know what? I struggle with depression and I've never told anybody. And we had this moment and to this day, we are better friends from it. And I understand you partied in Aspen in the Mm eighties, winter of 89 (laughs) and 90. And you guys have this annual trip where the guys and the wives now come out and you're coming out to big sky in about a week. And if there's something you can tell to those guys, because I understand you're going to send this podcast episode to them before they get up to big sky. What would you like to say to those guys right now? Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to see you guys. And I'm, I'm thrilled you have a chance to, to hear this. And you've all been a wonderful, great part of my life. And one of the great joys is, you know, we now get together with our wives and, and enjoy time together. And I look forward to having fun and seeing you guys. But, you know, for me, I think the drinking's done. I love it. We just created some accountability right there. But we are so afraid of telling our loved ones and our friends that, hey, guys, I'm an alcoholic. I got a drinking problem. Even I'm not going to be drinking tonight because we're afraid of the discourse that happens afterward. But the discourse never happens. If they're your friends, they're always like, wow, Cameron, that's awesome. I'm, I'm really happy for you. You know, there was this one time a couple of years back I was worried, whatnot. Or if, you know, to them, they don't get it. They'll be like, wow, Cameron, that's great. Let's go skiing. It, it's just not a big deal to them, right? Have you noticed that too? Absolutely, and 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 particularly with these these friends coming in, old friends. They, you know, we're we're we have a tight, good friendship that uh, friendships that you know I'll have the rest of my life, and this this isn't an issue. How comforting is it to know that you're not hiding that anymore? Oh, it's good. It's it, you know, this is. Uh, it, it feels good. And I guess it's one of those things I've known that I've needed to do to, to, you know, address this and do the right thing. And, and that is look at, you know, the drinking seriously. That feels really good. It's all a relief. And the next step is to let people whom you respect and admire and that are close to you understand this. You know, that's that, that also to the degree that I've done it to this point has been very positive. I'm always, I'm surprised and how good I feel after I share this. And this will, my guess, be the exact same thing. And talk to me about the relationship with your parents. You said now that you're sober, the relationship has improved? Yeah, and actually how that, what I mentioned uh, in a separate conversation outside of this, is that this past summer, earlier, before I decided to quit drinking, following my brother's uh, death, that my relationship with my parents improved. And that's one of the things I set out to do. In a, in a really deliberate, loving, whole, true way. And in some ways, I think that's been a source of underlying angst for me, and as it is, you know, for many people for, for years. Their alcoholism, in fact, you know, over time, it had really, you know, again, created a lot of instability and uncertainty in our, in our early lives. 
And, you know, I finally put that to rest and I and I kind of moved beyond it. And again, that was before I quit on August 18th. Starting today, moving forward, walk me through a typical day of Cameron and your, what does your recovery portfolio look like? How, how are you going to reach six months, seven months, eight months, a year? You know, and, and I guess that's one of the things I've kind of learned is that, you know, just because I say, Hey, I got this, I don't. And that's why in my kind of affirmations, it's humility. And that's the first thing I hear, you know, is in, in the, in the morning, it's humility. And I approach this whole thing with humility that I don't have it, that it is a continual work that I do have the ability to lie to myself with my own voice. You know, and that's a really important part of how I'm going about this, um, I guess, in a spirit of humility. And so I, I really intend on, you know, kind of doing the same thing and sharing with friends. For example, you know, many friends will hear this podcast, you know, staying involved with Recovery Elevator, you know, accountability group, going to things like the meetups and, and perhaps things outside of this group, but to continue to work on it and not take it for granted. It's the recovery network guys that I am so excited about. In fact, what Cameron, why he's in Bozeman right now, we've got our very first recovery elevator meetup tonight in Bozeman, Montana. It's at 6 PM right now. It's 4 15 PM. I'm nervous, but I'm excited. I'm going to be for the first time. I think four other people that I've interviewed on the podcast that I have never met. Now talk to me about your recovery network. Are there other people in Missoula who are in recovery that you hang out with or, or just the first time? You know, this is this is the first time I've ever been to uh, a social group. In fact, for me, one of the really cool things was when I reached out to you and Kelly. That was the first time I've ever, you know, reached out to someone outside of, you know, to, you know, to talk about these things. I think at that point I'd been, uh, you know, I'd quit drinking a few months prior to that. And I said, hey, I'm going to be in Bozeman. And, and that for me was a big step to sit down and, and talk with you. And I, I had a wonderful time. But again, one of the things about the podcast, you know, certain it resonates with certain people and I just stumbled on your podcast, but the humor, the approach, the content, it just resonated deeply with me. But outside of that, this will be the first time I've, uh, you know, gone and uh, met people as we will at the um, meetup uh, with the recovery elevator network. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Before the interview, you mentioned it sounded like you were at a time in your journey. You were open to listening to the similarities and not the differences. Tell me yeah, about that. Yeah, you know, again, I, I've learned, I guess I've gotten my framework to think about these things largely from the content of Recovery Elevator. And that's one of the big things is to really focus on the similarities as opposed to the differences. I think for so long in my own life, you know, for example, my parents and my brother, it's like, no, no, I'm not even anywhere near what those guys are. You know, that's more the typical, what you, what you would imagine an alcoholic to be. That's the symptoms they exhibited. And at some point it kind of clicked that, you know, actually I'm just like them and how this works out is the disease manifests itself a little bit differently in all of us. And again, while, you know, I might be a high bottom type of person, never had a DUI, haven't lost anything, you know, and all that, but I just really saw, I just honed on the similarities that, wow, you know, although the symptoms on the surface are a little different, the underlying, the underlying problem is the same. And that also lets me approach them and others with just deep compassion, I guess. I love it, Cameron. And we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? Ready. Here we go. Number one, what's your worst memory from drinking? I would have to say how I felt the late in the night of the, you know, my last night of drinking, just this, the sadness 
um, and just the realization that this has got to stop, that in the context of my family's history, look what I was doing, I was really no different. That was just, that was a low point. Cameron, in regards to sobriety, what's your plan moving forward? You know, just to kind of just to kind of continue to learn, continue to grow, um, to remind myself regularly again, humility, 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 that that this is a that this is a long journey. But it's also really I'm having fun. You know, I'm going. I, I guess I want to put this in the context of fun um, and growth and continual learning and continually facing the truth and never never trying to um, let my accomplishments and my uh, you know the things on the wall shield me from really this phase of growth in my life. Cameron, in regards to sobriety, what's your favorite resource in recovery? And if it is recovery elevator, you got to give me a second one. Cause I selfishly asked this question. I want to know more resources myself. You know, I, I wish there were more. I mean, I, I truly, this is kind of what I latched onto. Um, and it just kind of clicked and I started firing through the podcast and I just think there's a, a richness of information. I too would like to learn about, um, uh, hip sobriety. I think I, I somebody on re, the, uh, RE accountability group posted something about hip sobriety, a site is a website or a podcast website. Or? It's a website. Hip I think sobriety. she has a podcast. I've enjoyed reading some things there as well. Hip sobriety. I'm going to check that out. I, I something along those lines. But truly, I'm. I mean, I'm busy like everyone else. I mean, a dedicated uh, recovery elevator person. And again, the knowledge contained in the podcasts. You know, I think it really encompasses. And I, you know, just speaking generally, I think it really encompasses a lot of what is at the foundation of you know good advice and sobriety. Talking about advice and sobriety, Cameron, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, I got to say it was in the, the podcast when, uh, you know, that woman mentioned that your, uh, your addiction lies to you in your own voice. That just stopped me. I mean, it truly stopped me in my tracks. For whatever reason, that was just a, a major, a major moment. I had that one written up on a sticky note on my wall for a long time. I was looking around for it, but I still reference that often. And shortly after that interview, I named my addiction. That's where Gary comes from. It was just like the first name that came to my mind. It's like, damn it, Gary, shut up. <laughs> I know, I know you're not supposed to be talking right now. Um, and before we go, Cameron, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are in early recovery? Listen to your gut. You know, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people that struggle with this stuff, they're smart, accomplished people. You know, we see that, you know, in, in, in accountability group. Uh, a lot of your listeners, I mean, and so what happens is your rational mind can look at all of the, you know, the metrics. Oh, how many drinks do you drink a day? That kind of thing. And it really disguises the issue. Listen to your gut. And if, if you, if the deep part of yourself, when you're honest with yourself saying, Hey, there's a problem, there's a problem. Um, and then if I could just say coupled with that is in your own voice, regularly build it in as a ritual. Um, to remind yourself in your own voice who you really aspire to be and what you value the most, of which, um, you know, sobriety is is one key element. It's the affirmations. I love it. And the other parting piece of guidance you said, literally, I could listen to my gut in 2008. My ulcers were making noise saying, you got to quit drinking. And then I went to Dr. Google and I found out that glutamine, if you, if you, uh, if you start taking glutamine, it cures like 95% of ulcers. Goodbye ulcers, welcome more drinking. That's basically how I solved that problem. You know, there. before we go, you mentioned the word happy and fun before we got to the rapid fire round question or maybe somewhere in there. 
in life in recovery, what is it like? I, I always imagine that the gig was up, like the party was over. But for me personally, Cameron, life is fucking awesome. I'm having such a great time. I'm getting to meet guys like you. And I'm flattered. You're even in my office right now, my podcasting room. I'm flattered that you're here. It's amazing. It's, you're helping me stay sober. And I can't imagine life getting better. Of course, listeners, I got shitty days just like you. But tell me about life and recovery for you, Cameron. You know, I'm, I'm having a blast and I'm, I'm choosing to have a blast. I think people can get in the headspace of, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this, this friend of mine, booze. That's how I used to, you know, kick off social occasions. I'm focusing on the positive. And also I've realized my wife and I want a certain life. We want to ski. We want to stay active. And, and, and that's, that's what our plan is. And I look at ski towns. I look at places like Big Sky, Montana, which is a hardcore ski town. And people there, kind of like in my situation, they could go two different directions. So I'm 50 years old, skiing a ton, want to ski more. They either continue down the party path or they go the other way. And I've looked at kind of both paths and I've looked at people that have gone down both paths and I want the other one. And I want the one that is a vibrant, engaged, fun life. And that's the one I'm chasing and that's the one I'm committed to. And it's a blast. Learning through observation is something that I need to do more of. Cameron, I love it again. Thank you so much for helping me stay sober. Thank you. Paul, thank you. And again, you've uh, made a hell of a contribution and you've, uh, you've helped me. And uh, thank you. Before we get to the You Might Be an Alcoholic If segment, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. You might be an alcoholic if, and this one is from Penny. You might be an alcoholic if you walk your dog at night in the dark so your neighbors can't see the glass of beer in your hand. This next one is from Angela. You might be an alcoholic if you make a trip to the grocery store for that much-needed milk. But on your way, you stop at the liquor store and you totally forget the milk. This next one's from Jamie. You might be an alcoholic if you go to pee before bed, but you realize in horror the next morning that you missed the toilet seat by an entire room. This next one's from D. You might be an alcoholic if you misplace things like a decade. This next one's from Kathy. You might be an alcoholic if the first thing you do in the morning is check your Facebook, email, and call record to see what you may have done the night before while drunk. Recovery Elevator, don't isolate yourself. Alcoholism, addiction is extremely isolating. Do yourself a favor, join the Recovery Elevator private accountability group. This group will be capped at 500. And I think right now we're at 460. But don't worry, we just opened a forum. It's a different platform than Facebook, obviously. But this is a forum that also will be capped at 500. But we just launched this. And right now, I think there are currently 17 or 18 people in there. We will also be creating more accountability groups by region. So go to recoveryelevator.com, go to accountability group, fill out the questionnaire. There will be a drop-down box where you can check what region of America you're in, what region of the world you're in, and we will place you in the appropriate accountability group. These groups will be capped around 250 because we want to keep them intimate. We want you guys to get to know each other. And in these groups, you're going to find out about the meetups that we're having all around the world. Speaking of meetups, we've got one February 27th scheduled in downtown Seattle, March 5th in San Francisco, late October, Peru. That's all I'm saying about that. 
the recovery elevator, you took the elevator down, you gotta take the stairs back up. You can do this.